0: Hello everyone. We're super pumped today to have the GMX uh, team on. Uh, welcome, guys.
1: Uh, thanks for having us, uh, Crypto I uh, Actually, just to clarify, we're actually not part of the GMX team. GMX is uh, <laughs> not to be too pedantic about it. We're actually, you know, we're, we're a DAO, so it's actually we're we're some of the contributors to the GMX DAO who are on the call.
0: Awesome. Uh, maybe, maybe before we start, do you want to maybe talk a bit about yourself? So, who is basically there in the call? So people kind of understand your roles in the DAO. Sure.
1: Thanks so much. Yeah. So um, I'm Coinflip Canada. I am involved with uh, strategy partnerships, uh, business development on behalf of the DAO, uh, and I've been doing this for uh, a little over a year since we since we sort of
2: founded the platform and um, I'm a Fredegar chris or fred chris you can call me for short Um, I'm a community uh, contributor that kind of just mostly focuses on kind of strategic uh, kind of like partnerships in terms of like the Arbitrum ecosystem so reaching out to other projects communities Um, seeing kind of like what they've got going on and seeing if there's any, you know, collaborative uh, opportunities to be had between the two communities.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So can you tell us uh, what GMX is basically and why it was started?
1: Well, GMX is a on-chain perpetuals and swap um, AMM. Uh, it enables uh, leverage trading for, at up to 30, 30x leverage on leading crypto tokens, tokens like BTC, ETH, UNI, LINK, AVEX. Um, and the reason it was really, you could say, created was to address what we saw was a, very, a a huge gap in the, in the, in the DeFi space within within public blockchains as we're slowly developing out all the building blocks that sort of. Have been within walled gardens of centralized exchanges. We felt there wasn't really a great user experience with, you know, clean, simple execution, uh, and that was sort of one of the one of the pieces that we were aiming to tackle. And that was both for users, but actually, you know, kind of the area that uh, a friend mentioned that he's involved with, which is working with other protocols, really just being a base infrastructure layer so that anybody who needs to hedge. Uh, you know, risk adjusted within the DeFi space has, uh, you know, has a trusted partner in that space.
0: Okay. Also, awesome. can you tell us a bit about how the project started? Like, you know, like, who is at the origin? Do we even know? Like, how, how did this kind of movement start?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, it, 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 in many ways, it, it, I mean, before GMX, there were actually a few other community-based projects. One on Ethereum called XFIX, and another on uh, BSC or what's now BNB chain called uh, Gambit, and there were many common contributors between those different protocols. But as as sort of everybody was working sort of on different efforts in different areas, there was sort of a decision taken to sort of you could say merge, absorb, create something new, which was GMX, which sort of which launched uh, at the end of last year on Arbitrum, with 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 this goal of really you know having worked through a lot of Ideas, con- concepts, experiments, taking it and now turning it into an actual platform that could potentially scale and help to address some of these, you know, D requirement needs in the market that we were talking about. Um, and so, to that extent, I think it's a, it was a it was a series of trial trial and errors. I mean, uh, what, one one of the one of the tests was doing leverage tokens. Another was trying to do um, something similar to GMX but working with a stable coin. And you sort of started adding, removing, auditing, and, you know, through a lot of community feedback saying, look, this doesn't work. This makes us uncomfortable. Can we not do this? You know, the the core contributors who were sort of building out the code just sort of kept evolving the product to where we see it today. Awesome.
0: And so all that stuff in a very anonymous fashion. So like, can you tell us a bit more about why people decide to, I mean, the team is anonymous.
1: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of different reasons that, teams uh, choose to be anonymous. Uh, You know, one obviously is personal safety and security, especially in the crypto space today. But I think the other one is that sometimes it's more important and valuable to just simply let the code and your work stand on its own. Uh, You know, obviously we do have contributors now like myself and Fred who, who will go out and will help to sort of communicate what we as a DAO are doing, but at the same time, it's sometimes better, and especially in the early days, where especially in DeFi, where I think you know you really do need to make sure it's about code. Let let enthusiasts go. Let them review. Let them understand what you're doing. Um, there was you could say there was a certain joy having you know some very OG people in the crypto community who would then suddenly drop into the Telegram and be like, "I just I just looked at the code. This is crazy. You know, like it's so elegantly done," and I think. You know, I think if if you if i I don't want to speak for any one individual, but if I take our you know our main developers who are contributors, they much prefer that they communicate through code.
2: Um, if I can also add to that, as just you know, kind of like a community contributor myself, I think um, it's a little bit more comfortable for our members to kind of just be in that kind of. Um, middle right pseudonymous space that kind of the internet is known for where like you know people kind of you know go online with kind of like these online personas and I think you know the the crypto space has kind of been a really great place for that to kind of be um kind of like a native ecosystem for people where it's like you know it's normal right for you to be interacting with you know just that online persona and in many ways it makes it a lot easier for people to kind of You know, ask questions related to, you know, kind of being involved with crypto in ways that they might not be comfortable asking, you know, similar questions in a different environment, say like, you know, maybe traditional finance or something like that, where things are a little bit maybe um, more intimidating to engage or a little bit more, you know, Ah, uh, foreign, you know, crypto is a lot more, you know, inviting similar, I think familiar because of the fact that people can kind of just tap in with, you know, that synonymous kind of like, you know, anonymous online profile that they've just, you know, they just
0: have. Yeah, sure, sure. So okay, you you mentioned some OGs who basically popped into the telegram saying this is like really amazing. Like do you have some example or are there some people that you can talk about that basically spotted you early on and uh, kind of helped either uh, also kind of shape uh, what GMX is today.
1: Oh well, okay. so I, I think maybe a better way for me to approach that is that it's probably respecting that anonymity. I think people who not publicly sort of stated support it's probably better for me not to sort of say, well, they, you know, they, they just chose to support. But you know, I think one of the thing one of the easiest things to see, and, and this is one thing I will just say, you know we've never, you know, uh, we've never paid influencers. We've never done like private deals to get people to support, you know, things that are very common in the space. And that was very much driven from our ethos of being, you know, very community driven. As in, you know, the, the, the example being if if somebody owns, you know, tokens in GMX, they, they've gotten them from going and buying them in the market. That's just you know, the way it is. So, you know, I think you you can see many people, uh, you know, on, online people like, um, I don't know, say Algon or Dog or... I mean, even Arthur Hayes, before when he was publicly making his make, making statements about it, or Debbie Wann, et etc., who've been, I think, great public supporters. Um, and, but more interestingly, it's not just been them. I mean, um, as we said, one one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is integrating with other protocols. Right? Integrating with other protocols who are using uh, GLP, which is our multi-asset liquidity pool, that. Backs the entire platform as an asset that they're holding for investment purposes. So a lot of DAOs are holding that as an asset. We have other protocols who are integrating with us from a trading standpoint. So a lot of the feedback is also from people who have founded pro- protocols and projects and how they are now working and integrating with DMX. I mean, I would say that we have probably, I can comfortably say we have probably, you know, a dozen plus integrations, you know, in the works, in the pipeline that are that are happening. And that's and that that is really you know driven from a developer community who said you have a product it makes sense and it's it's something that you know inherently was designed to be able to integrate and be you know this sort of layer that others in DeFi can work with.
0: Yeah, okay, okay, makes a lot of sense. Okay,
1: so uh, maybe like
0: kind of like back to when the the the, the GMX started. So w- what's the biggest challenge when you're starting a, a decentralized derivative exchange?
1: Uh, you know, I, I would say maybe not just for GMX, but for, you know, I think anybody looking to launch a DEX, an AMM, something in the space, it really does come down to how do, how how is a protocol able to deal with limited liquidity, which is quite often a reality in the early stages, and how can you deal with that liquidity as you scale? And I think that's one of those things that You know, we spent a lot of time, and and again, this was from, uh, you know, contributors who worked on XFIX, which had a product called X2, which was leveraged tokens. It was, you know, wonderful product. It was deployed on Ethereum mainnet. Uh, It basically allowed people to be either long or short various assets at, you know, 3X, 10X leverage, um, and counterparties could come in and take the other side and were incentivized to take the other side. But the liquidity was fragmented. Uh, you couldn't get enough trading volume. You got high transaction fees. <laughs> and so suddenly you reached a point where unless you could scale, you couldn't maintain a proper market. And so I think, you know, as an example, that, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, was a lot of time was spent on GMX making sure that it was a platform that, in theory, when GMX launched, even if when it launched with, if it launched only with a few million, it was instantly able to create liquid markets based on, uh, you know, zero impact pricing, utilizing oracles as opposed to a self-balancing AMM for for doing price discovery, it basically removed a lot of those limitations that would otherwise hinder a purely, let's call it purely an equation-based um, AMM by, by bringing in those ex- additional external factors. And now as we're scaling up, uh, you know, G- as GMX is scaling up, uh, there's we, we just about two weeks ago released the code to our auditors and to our community for call it a a parallel or sister protocol that will also now be able to better address, you know, low liquidity tokens, even as liquidity on a platform like GMX now scales to, you know, over 400 million. Uh, it, it's so, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at sort of that entire lifecycle, both. How do you support, you know, nascent markets that just do not have uh don't necessarily today attract capital, and how do you also address well large markets? They have they have distinct challenges, and they have to, and you have to try to find a solution that can straddle both ends.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, you kind of like mentioned it already a bit in like the way you that that helped you grow, but like if you had to say like what makes you kind of different from other derivative exchange out there, like what would you say? And in other words, like how do you manage to stand out so much in the bear market and have like a lot of people talk about you?
1: So I'll try to do this without necessarily putting saying anything um, against other protocols. Because so I think, you know, one thing we we say we're we're in constant contact with all the other leading on chain perpetuals platforms, and in many ways, I would say that you know. We don't we don't view big exchanges as an enemy either but if there was somebody we're competing with we, we all collectively viewed that them as our competitors as opposed to each other because we actually would like to all grow this market um, but I think I think the reason that GMX uh, got a lot of traction was you know a lot of transparency with with our model we effectively by by with our with our Oracle system you're being offered execution from the Execution pricing based on the deepest, most liquid markets in crypto, which today are, you know, exchanges like Binance and FTX and and Bybed and the like. I think that was very important because it ensured, um, you know, transparency as to what was driving the pricing around the model. I think I think being on Arbitrum and and really showing a real commitment to the Ethereum ecosystem was also, you know, something that really, uh, really went a long way. I mean, today, if somebody asks me. I, I feel that the line between Arbitrum and Ethereum is very sl- is very small, and the reason being that effectively Arbitrum has started capturing that DeFi layer for Ethereum, where it simply just makes more sense, not just because of fees, but because of you know block time sequencing, not being able to have transactions front run with the Arbitrum ecosystem, you know, just provided a very compelling uh, experience. Uh, and mind you, we've also been able to take that same experience and apply it over to the Avalanche ecosystem, where where we deployed a few months later. So you know, I think I think I think those have definitely been things that have caught people's attention. But finally, I think I don't know if you said it, but it's kind of maybe appropriate given we're talking to Yield Labs. It has been this conversation about real yield. Uh, from the very beginning, our focus has been how do you make sure that you build a system that creates these deep liquid markets, but also uh compensates liquidity providers uh you know fairly and reasonably for both the risk they're taking on and the capital they're making available to keep to create these liquid markets and i think that attention on really making sure there is a real utility there's a there's real value coming from real work i think that has been really well appreciated because people can now look and and you know one can debate if, if we're in a bear market that is you know days weeks years but they can say. But we can see what, where, why this is sustainable. I think that has drawn a huge amount of attention um, from you know across the crypto community.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's absolutely one of the reasons why we're so yeah. But we're basically, what we're talking today, uh, because we've seen this kind of hashtag real yield come up quite a bit on social media, and uh, and uh, and actually looking at the yeah revenue generated and how you guys basically distribute this to the stakers and the Equity providers. Is is there something that you want to add regarding this real yield?
1: Well, you know, I I mean, I I definitely think that it's, you know, it's something that we focused on, but it obviously, I think, you know, even now when I look at other other protocols in the crypto space, I sort of look back and say, okay, so what is it that you are delivering in terms of value? And how is that value then going back out to, you know, the participants in your in your platform, your protocol, right? Be it token holders or be it liquidity providers, be it traders, users, and and I think making sure that that's a focus of how you you look at this is important because I think that's it, it, in many ways it's very similar to how I think you know even non crypto world is now again focused on saying this is not just about big numbers, this is about making sure there is something here that is sustainable and you know, today, if you're a liquidity provider on, on, on GMX, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like running because the, running the, the exchange itself, right? That's, that's where the value that would otherwise go to the, you know, the, 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 you know, let's call it the in-house order book that a, a lot of exchanges might maintain or the preferred order book partners. Uh, that value goes to, you know, our GLP holders. And I think that's, that's been hugely um, valuable
0: okay so I mean pretty much linked to that like who are who are these liquidity providers who are these GLP holders and maybe can you also related to that tell us a bit about the tokenomics because you said before you know no private deals etc anyone who basically has uh, uh, some the tokens uh, basically bought them on the market etc like so it maybe like briefly talking about the tokenomics to uh, you know what circulation is out there and all that stuff so people can really understand uh, how different it is from a, you know for example like we look at uh, there was a lot of noise in the last day about the the APT launch like basically tell us a bit mm-hmm. more about uh, how the 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 protocol was launched in terms of tokenomics and fairness okay so you
1: know as, as i mentioned in- GMX itself sort of was, you could say, created through a series of governance votes, taking it sort of absorbing a few other communities, XFIX and Gambit. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I know that the vast majority of the supply was actually distributed to all the community members from those two prior pro- protocols, uh, and then the, and then and then we kept um, the majority of our future emissions focused on two big areas. One was uh, a certain amount of initial liquidity incentives. I'll come back to those in a second because we really, we really did try to find a way that was, uh, you know, avoided some of the pitfalls that have, you know, um, have beguiled other other protocols. Uh, and then, you know, a, a fund which we've only started to now really work uh, utilize, which was our ecosystem and marketing uh, fund. Uh, and uh, and and again, our approach has been very different there compared to I think what a lot of protocols have done. In terms of liquidity incentives, we we actually have been providing incentives in the form of what we call ESGMx, which is which have all the you know governance and economic properties that uh, Gmx uh, the Gmx token has, but they're not tradable. Uh, they're not they're not exactly a soul bound token as Vitalik had proposed, but they are very much in the in the nature of that, which is that through the actions that you do on the protocol, you earn them. Uh, and you have the ability to convert those into a more liquid token if you'd like to, by through a vesting process that can be done over over one year, sort of block by block. So it's, it requires you to uh, be very patient if you want to sort of let's say monetize any incentives that the protocol is giving. But you have the you have the benefit of choosing to simply stake them and be a long term um, a long term recipient of the protocol's growth in terms of utility and other value that it's creating. Uh, and then the other one, yeah. And, and the other one was, uh, as I said, the ecosystem and, and marketing fund. And that's where we've taken, again, a very different approach. We've, we, rather than just simply putting out marketing dollars, which, again, competing against, and, and mind you, especially over the last few weeks with our with listing on FTX and Binance, big fans, but at the same time, very challenging to be competing in sort of any sort of marketing or promotional side against behemoths in that space. And we've instead focused our resources on uh, on partnerships. Uh, we've done we've done token swaps. We've done grants, uh, you know, just really helping to get people to be able to build uh, and expand out uh, on on GMX. So rather than you know going and let's say okay let's assemble more funds so that we can bring more staff and do more ourselves. Why not instead you know, uh, you know plant the seeds that will allow an entire group of additional developers, projects, protocols, communities to instead support the growth of uh, GMX. And that's that's also been uh, you know, the other side that we've really focused on. Uh, beyond that, uh, we have a small allocation. I believe it's about 2%, which is for the for the team. Again, entirely on the basis of, you know, we only want to keep the, the number of our team contributors. It's it's just a small allocation because the rest really should be coming from having external parties and, and other groups build on top of what GMX is.
0: Great. So uh, can you tell us about, if you have to think, you know, what, what are a few things that you got wrong until now? Because probably not everything was like uh, the best. And what were the main consequences of these things?
1: So I would say things that we got, I don't know, if, yeah. so wrong, or I'd say things that we've been able to learn from that we could have done better. I think, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's a weird, I'm actually gonna tell you something that I think we've done very well, but we also are so conscious about it that whenever we drift, we'd really focus back, which is that, you know, making sure that, that community engaged commun- community feedback is active. So, you know, while the, I think in the early days, our community feedback was very, very active as the protocol grew, um, I think I think you know some of that dialogue became a little complacent and instead the moment we put the focus back on that dialogue I think it really again helped to spur the, the amount of social media engagement the amount of uh, new ideas that were coming um, and and just sort of rejuvenated our governance forums uh, to you know really you know make sure that our community who has really been the backbone for having this protocol be what it is, be able to keep pushing it forward. And I think, you know, some, you know, now sort of, as I said, making sure that the community fully embraces the responsibility they have through governance um, is an opportunity that, you know, we, we, we were probably late, a little late to, and we've now, you know, we focused on. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, listen, I I can say that every day, you know, we we wish we had more hours to focus on, on security. We wish we had more time to focus on, on building. We wish we could have, we could have just a few more resources to, you know, be growing just a little bit quicker. But I think to a certain extent, you know, um, we're, we're quite happy with how things have worked out. Okay.
0: Uh, so, so you talked about you just mentioned security. So, what are the the steps being taken on the security side?
1: So, I, I would say that it's it's a multi pronged approach. You know, one is obviously there. There have been there have been audits. We're getting fresh audits, obviously now done for our, for the successor protocol. We do a lot of testing before we push updates to the live now, which has definitely been, I think, one of the things that you know has. I, I'm not sure I would say slowed down the progress, the pace, but it means that, you know, with, with the amount of live capital that's within the protocol, if we push an update, it needs to be thoroughly tested, which means the entire life cycle of testing and making sure that even the smallest update, adding a new stable coin, even uh, you know, to one of our pools is something that, you know, we spend, you know, we spend a lot of time back testing and, and, and making sure that it's live before anything gets pushed out. Uh, and I think the other one is really around opsec. I mean, we've always had uh, a public multi-seg with uh, with sort of noted community, noted members of the you know both GMX and I guess you could say DeFi community. Uh, but we're 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 spending even more time on now working on automation, making sure more and more uh, functions of the protocol are effectively addressed through keepers. Initially, right now, most of that is through our own sort of controlled keepers, but continuously moving towards having that all decentralized and be able to be um, managed by any external party so I think that's you know again one of the things that we we've said very often because it does come up quote unquote decentralization permissionless it's an end point it's very hard there's been very few protocols that I can say have truly been able to to set and forget and deploy and and they are legends in the in this space I mean I think back to something like Uniswap, where I give immense credit that they've been able to do that. But with the number of external factors, we know that it's not as easy to get t- to that just yet. So it's just really an iterative process towards making those changes. But again, they, it just requires a lot of testing before implementing each of these steps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And maybe on the top of these uh, of these of these steps, like do. Do you have any partnership with insurance protocols, or do you plan on having that?
1: I think Fred actually can speak to that. He, he he's been actually our point person on coordinating with all these wonderful insurance providers that that we we've been working with.
2: Yeah. So um, the first insurance. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yes, it's a bit uh, it's a bit low, but we I, I can hear you. Okay. um, Yeah.
2: But the, um, one of the first insurance providers to kind of work with us actually reached out to us and that was um, insurance. And it was kind of um, just a, a moment of just kind of like mutual interest because they were just looking to kind of reach out onto the Arbitrum ecosystem as it had recently launched uh, because GMX, you know, kind of went live um, at the same time as, you know, the Arbitrum ecosystem went live as well. And, you know, essentially, you know, it was a great opportunity to also kind of attract liquidity, right? Um, more people were willing to kind of, you know, become GLP stakers if they knew they can kind of, you know, get some basic, you know, risk protection against like smart contracts or exploits or hacking um and what was really neat was that insurance kind of maxed out on capacity pretty quickly and so it showed that there was a you know a high demand for you know coverage for glp stakers and so we started to reach out to other providers um we were able to work with the likes of risk harbor um we're recently you know starting to work with DGIS, who's a insurance provider primarily on Avalanche to, you know, uh, roll out some neat coverage and have just recently onboarded Nexus Mutual um, with the help of uh, DeFi Dad. So thank you, DeFi Dad, for leading the the charge on that with the uh, Nexus Mutual community. And um these are all things that are going to really help, you know, solidify kind of the uh the permanence of the GLP liquidity and kind of help solidify our presence as kind of like that structured DeFi product on the uh, you know the premier L2 of Ethereum.
0: Awesome. Okay. So, beside beside this security side, what are what are the current GMX uh, GMX biggest challenges?
1: You know, I think a lot a lot biggest challenges, uh, you know, an ever-changing landscape is obviously one of them. Um, making sure that we can we can support with both, uh, you know, obviously code and documentation being available, but also just generally helping other protocols who are, work, who are looking at working with us. Uh, you know, that's kind of all sort of on the building side. The other one really is visibility. I mean, I would say that Today, the DeFi world, you know, as I say, around crypto, around Twitter, social media, some of them may still be aware of GMX. But the reality is, I think there's an extremely wide swath of people, even in DeFi, and even more broadly, uh, you know, in the crypto space, who don't know that there is an opportunity to do something like perpetuals or leverage trading on-chain. It's just simply a reality that they're not aware of, or an option that uh, they, would probably, they might even consider utilizing if they could. And I think that's just as as we sort of talked about it earlier, it is, you know, marketing in the crypto space is a bit of a challenge. It can either be a very high cost exercise that, you know, many big organizations who are also very well funded from potentially external sources will go about doing. Whereas, you know, we have to focus on just doing, you know, doing better in terms of, uh, you know, that organic effort to just keep bringing people to uh, GMX we implemented a referral program, which again is entirely linked to the actual fees that the, that the protocol is generating from users as they come to the protocol. Uh, that's been very successful and has been has definitely helped to spread the word. So, you know, anybody who wants can, you know, go to go to opt.gmx.io and they can generate a referral code and both earn some referral fees and also a discount for uh, you know their, their own community or anybody they're sharing it with, um, you know, on trading fees on GMX. But you know, we continue to look for opportunities to, as you said, sort of spread that visibility, bring bring you know a wider range, a more diverse range of traders onto the platform.
0: Awesome. And so, so you're talking about yeah, talking about users and traders. Like, can you can you give us some numbers about like how many you have, and what even what is the definition of a user? Someone that comes once a day, trades once a week, once a month. Like, how do you guys look at this?
1: all. So, you know, one of the things that anybody who'd like to sort of learn a bit more about the platform, we, we, we try to maintain a relatively robust stats page, um, which has information like total number of users. Now, total number of users really is just anybody who has, you know, a, it's a wallet address that's integrate it has um, engaged with our platform. That could be that they've swapped on our platform, they've leveraged trade on, trade on our platform, they've uh, been a liquidity provider. But we also then take you know uh, information on a daily basis in terms of you know the number of active users uh so that's daily active user actions so like you know uh for example uh we have you know on any given day we track both new users for example we had yesterday on arbitrum 772 new users that interacted with the protocol but we also had 1,274 uh, existing users who were repeated a repeat user of the platform. So we sort of keep looking to see you know where we are in terms of new users and repeat users. Obviously, with the, with the expectation that over time the new user count continues to reduce as we uh, you know address the market um, and. You know, I think one of the other very interesting aspects is that, you know, in terms of the number of interactions with the protocol, we probably do about as much in swaps as we do in margin trading, but obviously the volumes around margin trading are dramatically higher. And I mean, again, that's just a reflection of even the way the business works for centralized exchanges. Uh, Futures and perpetuals are the biggest volume drivers uh, sort of in the sex space, uh, and helping to now bring that on chain has been, you know, very helpful. I'll just use an example. I mean, we'll be doing some announcements soon uh, with, you know, with on, on Avalanche, but, you know, they've been thrilled. Having something like GMX present on their chain has helped to drive just so much more on-chain volume. And I think that's one of those areas where there does sometimes become a bit of a top-down limit on the normal swap business, which, you know, a platform like GMX or even, you know, any of our competitors who are trying to do so in the public blockchains can really help to stimulate that you know new user growth, both ours but also for the teams that we're present on.
0: Can you give us some uh, some idea about the user growth in the last six months, and also talk about the future? Basically, what do you think the potential growth is, and what basically the what are the plans to reach those goals?
1: Yeah. Of. Of course. So in terms of, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned, I mentioned it sort of as one of our biggest challenges also, which was how do we deal with a, how do we deal with a, uh, sorry word here um, uptick in uh, how do we deal with growing out users is probably the biggest challenge. I think a few things, one, which is that we've been working on uh, GMX since which I mentioned is outdoor auditors right now. It's going to take us, obviously, a number of months to both deploy that, deploy that in initially a limited release and then a full release. But then that, that's going to allow us to be able to handle a much wider set of assets uh, beyond the beyond ETH, BTC, AVAX, you know, Uni, Link, as I mentioned, really, you know, let's call it the absolute blue chips. It'll it'll allow us to sort of deal with slightly uh, the next range of sort of mid cap tokens and even potentially assets even beyond crypto, which we think will definitely help to. Uh, bring attention because we'll be able to work with, uh, you know, even potentially work with communities to help build on-chain markets, leveraged markets for their for their tokens. Which again is one of those things that we can helps us to engage, but also just add more utility into the on-chain environment. And we think that will help to attract additional users. I think I think we will you'll also see a little bit more work coming from us in terms of how do we how do we reduce the friction for people to be able to trade on GMX? And and that may come through, let's say, integrations with wallets, integrations and working with chains to just even work eventually I'm mean, being with cross-chain solutions, just making again reducing the friction so that it's just easier for people to trade. Uh, you know, I think it's a big part of of helping that onboarding process, and the and the, the last one, which is we 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 have some partnerships that we're working on that can't announce, but to really help further fuel um, the referral side of our um, of our referral program. Sorry, sorry, our referral program. Because you know one of one thing that's been really well received is that that entire program is available. It is on chain. It is verifiable. You know this there's very little in the way of trust that's required. And I think that's something very valuable for people who who are active referrers. Quite often what they're doing ends up in a bit of a black box in organizations where they can't see if they're really getting what they should be receiving. And I think that transparency has really helped to make this referral program in a very short period of time, uh, you know, gain a lot of traction. Um, And then I think, and then I think the other thing you'll see is some announcements around trading contests and other activities to really just help stimulate drawing you know, new users to experience uh, you know, GMX.
0: Okay, and like maybe, um, I mean, can, can you tell us why you decided to limit, I mean, it's already a lot, but to limit the leverage to 30X because there's some other pla- platforms out there that offer more leverage. And it, it seems that one of the reasons why BitMEX was so uh, uh, kind of successful in the early days was basically because they, I mean, I think Arthur is, is basically said that they, the platform exploded when they decided to increase the leverage to 100. So I was wondering if it's something that also like would make sense for you or not, or if there is a limitation on, on, on your side to do that.
1: So, I, okay. So let me try to address this properly. And, and, and so let me actually use the BitMEX, BitMEX example. If you if you traded on Bitmex back in the day, the reality is there were moments where the protocol effectively not the protocol, there uh, the platform ground to a halt. You could have situations where the APIs weren't weren't accessible, the, the front end would just freeze up. It wasn't a common occurrence, but it was absolutely an absolute occurrence at that moment where quote unquote hundred x leverage mattered. Um, and I think you know. And, and and you know you definitely could end up with situations where you know effectively the available liquidity on those markets could blow out so you know i think we as of now can we go higher than 30x we can i mean there's no technical limitation we've just been working to find that right balance for reflecting that you know if you look at the way that gmx is set up for example you know we we effectively to avoid issues around front running and to create this sort of fair market Effectively, most orders. I mean, there are ways to do limit orders, and we're enhancing our limit order setup. But outside of the limit orders, when we talk about um, when we talk about um, uh, uh, you know market orders, effectively, your order comes. You you submit the order. We pull an Oracle update that pulls the immediate live market price, and you get executed slightly better or slightly worse at that live market price. Now, by with, with with that setup and the way we're configured today, we do know that, you know, invariably in that, as liquidity providers, we are, you know, in GLP, there is a certain level of risk that they're taking in terms of risk reward. And, you know, how much collateral have you kept to be able to liquidate so that if that position does reach sort of that liquidation point, it can be liquidated safely. You know, from our review, we 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 felt we came to that, that appropriate level. I will just use an example that if you if you used to trade on Bitmex at you know 100 100 times leverage, in reality a half you would think that means a one percent move is liquidation, but in reality a half percent move was actually liquidation for you Or there, and and the liquidation was 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 definitely not in a manner that we thought was as fair as the approach that we tried to take, which is yeah. you know. The oracles, you know, up the oracles update. You get liquidated if you're if there's any capital left over, you get that capital returned to you. There's nobody else who's sort of, um, you know, profiting off your liquidation. It's just simply, you know, it's a it's it's a forced close for the lack of a better term. So you know, I think just with all those mechanisms, we sort of ended up at that point. I think that with GMX synths, you will see a lot more granularity. I think there'll be more flexibility to take higher leverage for. Uh, could be enabled by the by governance for tokens like ETH, e, BTC, and maybe even lower leverage for other tokens where maybe it's not going to be appropriate to allow for that level of leverage. Hmm. Um, and and again, using your BitMEX example, you couldn't trade 100x on uh, on on ADA or on 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 all tokens. It was only on select tokens.
0: And this new upgrade is is live in a few weeks. You said.
1: Uh, no, it's gone out to our auditors. Obviously, that process will take its take its time. Our hope, our hope is that by the end of this quarter, we'll release it in a in probably a limited on chain release, probably with some you know some some caps in terms of deposit caps and trading caps to really just start to test the protocol on chain. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um,
0: what 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 are the biggest risks to GMX success? Because we've seen a lot of people, especially kind of like really people who are seen as top traders and top investors in the space, talking very positive positive about GMX, the long term potential. Like, if you had to be self critical, what are the the biggest risks to you to to your success?
1: Complacency would in theory be a risk, but I don't think we're very complacent. We were are always sort of focused on what should we be doing next. Um, I mean. I don't mean to, I mean, not to make light of it, but I'll use an example that we went through, you know, GMX fork season where, you know, people were forking GMX, deploying it onto multiple chains, including some deploying on Arbitrum itself, even, uh, you know, uh, forks of GMX. And while they were busy working on forks of GMX, we were working on deploying an entirely new platform, which is now, you know, going to be, which will go live soon. So you know we we think that we need to keep focusing on that. I think you know, I think from a risk standpoint, you know, having having a little bit more broad clarity in the DeFi ecosystem around regulations would be helpful. I don't know if it's a risk, but it's really helpful because that you know we obviously try to be, be- good actors, but at the same time, it's not like anybody's making that process easy by saying here's you know here's
2: what
1: here's what it is. Um, and I think from I mean the other one is as you said I mean we just need to make sure we keep listening to what what liquidity providers are saying they they want from an experience what traders are saying they want from an experience anybody using it just constantly taking that feedback and then delivering on it I mean and it is it is it is easy for quote unquote success to you know for people to think well you know we know better I don't I I think that's the one thing we 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 know we don't know better. We're not, you know, of of our core contributors. I mean, none of I don't think there's anybody who's you know a top professional trader or you know the big, you know has run the biggest books. It's actually very humbly taking that feedback from everyone, uh, that that, that you no, know, we just need to keep doing to keep delivering.
0: Okay, maybe uh, uh, some words about the team. Like, how do you recruit people? to make sure you have the, the kind of people who are not becoming complacent and uh, we're just like continuously looking to improve and improve things, especially, especially in a, in a DAO kind of structure where, I mean, again, in the ideal world, a DAO works perfectly, but like, as we've seen, I'd say like the, when you have a leader is, is much more easy basically to have a, Kind of very motivated people. So, how do you guys handle that to make sure you you basically have the right people on the team and 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 everybody is just working all the time to improve the platform?
1: I mean, you you you've you've absolutely highlighted one of the most difficult challenges in DAOs, and not just DAOs, but just I mean, obviously a DAO, but then also uh, which not all organizations that do not maintain a physical presence are DAOs, but it's an added aspect of that. Uh, that, you know, of taking remote work and then the sort of DAO governance structure. I guess the way I would think about this is that, that, that you know, joining as a community contributor, then becoming potentially a core contributor, that entire process is one that is very much driven based on, have you been able to deliver something to the DAO? And, and, and I think that in many ways, it's that we've, is that it's not been made that easy to sort of take on those roles. We'll, we'll, you know, I think as a DAO, we will welcome anybody who's happy to provide contributions, uh, but for that to go further and further, it means people have spent that time, they've engaged with other contributors, that comfort level has been established and then it goes from there. Uh, I mean, very sincerely, I mean, I, I may be a core contributor, but I went through that exact same process. With some of the prior communities that I was involved with, and then grew, uh, um, Frederick as well. I mean, uh, he would. T- I'm sure he has any thoughts. And he can share them as well. But it's you know, it's we, we sort of do it at a, at a very cautious level. It, it probably means that we have less people involved than some organizations, but those that are involved are much more committed.
0: Awesome, awesome. Is there anything you want to add today? Regarding anything, maybe something you think we should talk about that we haven't, or something that yeah you want to talk about.
1: Well, you know, I, I actually, maybe maybe it's a little bit about Yield Labs. I mean, I was going to just say that I really appreciate you know what what you do in the space. Um, it, it, quite often, uh, so much of DeFi is chasing after you know the short term high of a new project, a new a new deal, a new vault, a new something, as opposed to, you know, how do you look at this? How do you look at sustainable long-term yields? Um, and and I think, so I'm, I, I guess, you know, I, I really appreciate that sort of um, approach that you, that, that you take uh, and how it really aligns with the way we also think about, you know, creating these hopefully sustainable models.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, actually, like, there is, I mean, as you, there's all these yield farming crazy AP AP APYs and all that stuff. But like it's really rare to see some protocol that actually delivers some real revenues and d- derive some real yield out of it. So for for us, it was pretty much of a no-brainer to to basically dig in and understand it a bit better because people in our community are are people who are looking for exactly what you guys are doing. So thanks to you. Right.
1: Thanks to you, I
0: mean, great. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. It was a pleasure to have you on today.
1: Thanks so much.